Hey everybody, Shar here. Welcome to the Blonde and Strong podcast. This podcast is a podcast of strength and empowerment with each episode dedicated to helping our listeners improve their health, their well-being, to learn, grow, and unlock their strength from the inside out. I felt called to create this podcast to give a platform to inspirational guests to share their knowledge, experience, strength, and hope in order to empower others, to prove it's possible not only to survive, but to thrive. This is done through open, honest, unfiltered conversations. It's a safe space for people to be raw and powerful through their vulnerability without shame or judgment. No topic is off limits as long as it has the intention of empowering the listeners. Our growth is our own responsibility and no one can do the work for us, but I truly believe we're stronger together. So sit back, relax. We're going to dive in deep. So come dive in deep with us. Now, this week, we are really diving in deep because we have Brianne Davis. Do you prefer Brianne Davis Gant or Brianne? Either I go by both, so I love both. <laughs> so we have Brianne Davis, who is, I mean, the list of what this woman does on a daily basis is just crazy. So she is an actress who's appeared in films like Jarhead, TV shows such as Lucifer. Uh, we are going to have to talk about that, by the way, because that is like one of my all-time favorite TV shows. True Blood, CSI Miami, Desperate Housewives, Nip Tuck, the list goes on and on and on. Um, she's also a director, uh, podcast host, and producer of the Secret Life podcast, which you have to give a listen to because it's absolutely great. Um, wife, mother, and author of the upcoming book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, which is out in December. I can't wait to read that. <laughs> that is going to be- It's good. It's really good and it's juicy, but it's also, I can't, it's fiction. I have to say that, but it's based on my life. So I just have to get that out there, but it's this character I created that is based on me and she, her first year of sobriety and sex and love addiction, she finds these 10 rules she has to live by. And she takes you through the journey of that first year of being in the program of SLAW. So it's going to be fun. I'm nervous. <laughs> I can understand the nerves. Like I think definitely um, writing, I feel is one of the most like vulnerable places that you can ever be. I started the podcast as a blog initially and mm -hmm. the like, emotional drainage that I used to get from the writing, it would put me off writing blogs. Yeah. It it's torture. It is like, especially when you start editing, cause I've edited it like three times cause they want more detail or they, you know, something didn't flow. So I've been editing it for this last year and it's been torture. Um, so yeah, I, I can't wait till it comes out. It's really, really vulnerable and it's really taxing for me, but I, it was this calling I had to answer. Because like I said before, I don't know, but if you heard my podcast, like I never wanted to come out as a sex and love addict, but I got my 10 year sobriety in the program. And it was this thing bigger than me was like, you need to go, you need to help more people. So I wrote this article for Huffington Post and the first week it got like a million hits and I got all this people reaching out to me saying how much they loved it. And they've done those things and all the shame and so it just really moved me to like tell my story, but tell it in a different way, not like a memoir. 
Well, I mean, first of all, congratulations on your 10 years because that- Well, is- I'm getting 11 years in December. Oh my so. God, congratulations. Yeah. Look, I'm like <laughs> clapping for myself. Yeah, but you have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I clap for myself all the time. Good <laughs> job, you. <laughs> but like, you can't be proud of yourself. How can anybody else be? But I mean, that is a huge, huge achievement because I know that, you know, if you were to sit there on day one, you can't even think about year 10 or 11. Like you're just living in that day, you're living in that moment, right? So, I mean, that's a oh, huge, yeah. huge congratulations. Um, I read your article from the Huffington Post. Oh my God. I did read it. it. Okay. And I, um, I really, I wanna ask you about it because I know that obviously that ties in with the book that you, um, you're in the process of, of editing at the moment to put out in December. And I was reading through your article and it is about your, um, you know, finding recovery with the love and sex addiction. And when I was reading your account of what that was for you, like what behavior led you to your bottom mm-hmm. in that moment, that rock bottom moment that you felt. And I was reading through it and I had this initial Um, my initial reaction was, shit, I've done that. (laughs) And then then my second reaction was, man, I've had that done to me. Yeah. Yeah, both. 100%. I have been on both ends of that. Um, You know, I'm never, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say that I'm a sex or love addict. That's a big thing to like come to a, a like a realization to yeah. but I know that there's been maybe hurts and traumas and wounds that I've had that have definitely led me to behave in that way at times to seek some form of fulfillment and filling a gap or a void that I was not able to fill myself in that moment and to feel safe and loved and and whatever I needed. And I've also been on the receiving end of that. So to hear that told from like the other perspective and where that was coming from, from you, again, I think it just gives people such a perspective and like a totally different perspective and gives people a tolerance and and a compassion and a, a bit more of an accepting yeah, I mean, the things I, I wrote it because I'm a woman and women don't talk about being sex addicts, you know, and I, it's not like I'm out having sex with a bunch of random people. It wasn't like that. It was that sex for me was about control and power over somebody else than intimacy. And I couldn't connect sex and intimacy together. So if I loved you, it was really hard for me to be sexual because I was in fear of being abandoned of, you know, not being worthy of all that stuff, like not enough love. So writing it, I wanted to write it as a woman. Like I am a sex addict. I'm a sex and love addict. Number one, I'm not getting caught. I'm coming out. It's not like I got caught cheating on somebody. And, you know, like from that perspective, like I had to, um, I mean, I did get caught, but you know, like I had to like face up to my, my demons in a way and finally surrender and be on my knees and say, okay, I can't manage this anymore. This is destroying my life. I don't. And I remember specifically having this thought, I do not want to be on my bed 
and not connected to another soul the rest of my life. And that for me was a realization like, it's not the guys are wrong. It's not like someone's not good enough for me. It's that whole swipe left, swipe right, always looking for the perfect person. I think this society is really damaging right now. Yeah. And I wanted to give a voice for that, right? Like there's no perfect person. Um, If you find a great person, I didn't know how to be in a relationship with them, even though I wanted to be in a relationship. I didn't have the tools. I didn't grow up with a stable, seen a stable marriage or, you know, the boundaries were crossed with parents. And it just felt like I finally surrender. Like, I can't do this alone. I can't keep hurting people because I'm actually hurt inside. And I'm, I like can't use people because I'm feeling used. Like I picked unavailable people because I'm unavailable. And I just really wanted to just tell that truth from a woman's perspective and be transparent and know that you are not alone. If you have trouble with intimacy, if have trouble being in a relationship or picking good partners, like I don't think society teaches us how to do that especially now in the social era. Oh, God, amen to that. Like, I agree with everything that you just said there. You know, there was so there was so much there that like the reality of it is that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I have to remind myself of constantly that, you know, when you're on the receiving end of um, somebody's pain, like when someone's being mean or saying hurtful things very often is just a response to their own pain and their own conditioning. And that always helps me with keeping compassion and empathy for people. Also being able to then set a boundary and not be like a fucking doormat and let people just like speak to me like I'm a piece of shit. But then like, but I can always come back to that point where hurt people hurt people. I've hurt people Mm -hmm. out of my pain and I've had all those same sorts of things that you were talking about you know that fear of abandonment picking unavailable people because really deep down I wasn't available either and um also believing that you're not worthy picking unavailable people to just completely like validate your own false self-belief you know of the fact that you're not worthy of being chosen or you know And I think that that happens so much. And there was something that um, you said in that um, article and also that you kind of alluded to there about there really just isn't that perfect person and that you would almost pick different men who had different attributes to form one perfect man. Yeah. I'm 100% guilty of that. A lot of my girlfriends are just so you know, like I've heard like, can't I just take little bits and pieces and they would make the perfect man together. I'm like, yeah, you can't do that. Like, that's not how it works. (laughs) That was when I was reading that article, that was the number one thing that like leapt out at me when I read that sentence. I was like, oh, shit. Like, (laughs) I've definitely done that. Where I'm like, I see him because like exactly like what you said, I get the emotional security and connection with this person, or I get the physical and like sexual chemistry and connection with this person, or this person is the person that like genuinely sees me Mm -hmm. and I feel comfortable being around, but I'm not like sexually attracted to them. So there's like all these like compartments we compartmentalize people and we use them to fill 
ourselves. It's never about them. And that's what I always saw. It's never about the other person. It was always what they mirrored to me. So I came to a point where I, you could like put a bag over someone's head and it wouldn't matter who they were. It was what they reflected back to me. Even with my girlfriends, I realized, you know, a couple of years into the program, I realized I used my girlfriends. I would keep them hostage on the phone talking about my problems. And if they couldn't make me feel better, I'd call another girlfriend and do the same thing. And it was just like this cycle of using people to make me feel whole. And that wasn't fair. It's not fair for me to rape a person of their energy to make me feel better. And it just, it just got so gross. And I was like, I don't even like the person I am. And then I realized like that was the problem. I didn't like the person I was like the core me, you know? So I just like woke up one day and said, "Is enough is enough. Like, aren't you tired of this shit? Aren't you tired of feeling sick? Like sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. You know, the whole saying. I do. I do. Yeah. I love that. It was really, I found that really interesting. And I, you know, having the courage and the, the, the bravery, like, first of all, taking full responsibility for your own actions, taking responsibility for your life, taking responsibility for your actions and your behavior, taking responsibility for your own healing and recovery. Like, for me, that's just the key. Like you said, yeah. it's about getting right with yourself, about building that relationship with yourself, about filling the void yourself, uh, not using another person to do that, like learning how to be on your own and, mm -hmm. and be a whole person, you know, without having to try and like energy vacuum that from somebody else. Um, and having the bravery to step into a room like that with other people who um, are going through the same thing that you are. Now, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience with that. I have my own okay. experience with walking into a sort of 12 step room um, mine was from a slightly different perspective. I grew up in um, a bit like you said, my, my, I didn't have modeled for me like the perfect parents with the perfect marriage, you know, like who really does, but um, I grew up with a lot of, um, you know, substance abuse around me, there was alcohol, drugs, um, food, misuse, <laughs> like all of it, it was all of it. Yeah. it was, like I can kind of laugh about it. My, my dad, um, like he never drank anything. Like he was completely teetotal, totally never touched alcohol in my whole life, but he behaved like a drunk. I can't really call it like a dry drunk. Right. And then my yeah. dad was very much like that. And he also ate like a crazy addicted nut job. Like he used to go to smart and final and buy, which in like, so for the people in the UK, that's like a cash and carry. He used to go and buy these like giant, um, huge, like plastic boxes full of like mall balls and <sighs> or like whatever his addiction was like, and he would eat the same thing for like two or three years solid. So I remember like, he always had a chocolate that he would eat. So like, it would either be like Reese's peanut butter cups, or it would be like mall balls or it would be like chocolate covered peanuts or something chocolatey. And then he would have Cheetos or he would eat Ruffles potato chips, but, but just the plain, like, like plain, like regular ones. Um, 
and then he would drink caffeine-free Diet Coke. And so you would open his fridge in his shop and the entire fridge stocked from like bottom to top shelf will be full of caffeine-free Diet Coke and um, chocolate milk. Jeez Louise, that is terrible for you. Diet soda is like the worst thing ever. It's like drinking poison. It's terrible. <laughs> this is like, he literally lived off that all day, every day, like for his whole life. That's just what he was like. No, I used to drink a lot of diet soda too. When, you know, like 15 years ago, I used to drink a lot of diet soda and my nutritionist was like, cut that out. That is like the worst thing for you to be drinking. So I get it. I, no judgment. I've done it, but But it's like horrible. That was his like habitual eating. Like he just. That's what gave him comfort. That's what gave him like some peace and serenity. We use things, people use food or shopping or, you know, it's a whack a one thing pops up and another thing, you know, you just have to like, you know, especially these times where it's like, people are just trying to survive, (laughs) you know? Honestly, it's so true though. And I can remember being, so I was probably about, I think I was about 22 23 and I was going through a huge amount of just crazy stuff and mm-hmm. um I had um a family member who'd gone into um rehab and then got gone into AA and my partner at the time um you know definitely had some problematic drinking situations going on like it's not yeah. for me to say whether he was an alcoholic or not but his drinking definitely caused a real negative impact on the people around him. It was quite, um, you know, chaotic when he, when he decided to have a drink. And, um, I had a little girl who was only like 18 months, two years old at the time. And Mm -hmm. I was also really ill. I had a brain tumor at the time. So I had a lot going on. Jeez, Yeah. A busy, busy time. And I was really struggling. I was really struggling and I was like struggling with my partner, struggling with my family, struggling with my daughter. And I just kept speaking to like, we had to go and my, um, we, when my family member went to the rehab, we had to go to these family sessions, you know, cause it's yeah. not just about the person. Cause no, it's a whole unit. It's a whole family unit. And the dynamic in that family contributes to all of this. So we went as a family and I went and spoke and they were like, go to Al-Anon, which is like the family groups for people who have um, family members who are in Alcoholics Anonymous. Or, or dysfunctional or now. Dysfunctional. It's, yeah, it's dysfunctional. It's not just alcohol. If you have a dysfunctional family, it's a yeah. great program. I love the Al-Anon book. I've read it. It's one of the best books ever. It was an absolute game changer. So mm-hmm. for me, when I was reading your I went in there, well, the first time, (laughs) a little, like you said in your article, the first time I walked in there, I'm like, these guys are all fucking whack jobs. Yeah. I'm out. out." Like these, I remember walking in and this woman, like she was shaking and Mm -hmm. she was like, she had like nerves. Like you wouldn't, you know, she was just like shaking. She could hardly talk. And I remember listening to her share and she said something about, you know, that she'd been going there for like six months. I'm like, she looks like that after six months. Fuck this. This guy, these people are crazy. Like, what am I going to get out of being in here? So I left. And yeah. I was, I'm never going back there again. And then like six months later, like you said, you're at that moment where you're on your knees and you wake up and you go, I can't live like this another day. Like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through another minute. Never mind another day. 
what am I going to do? And I ended up going back and I went back sometimes three times a week mm-hmm. for years. I went for years consistently just kept going and going and going. And it taught me so much about gratitude, about taking responsibility, letting go, surrender, like acceptance, all of these things that have now become like an absolute inherent part of who I am and how I live my life and how I approach all of my relationships. And I feel so blessed to have found that in my early 20s because I've been able to carry it through with me for the rest of my life. And it definitely helped me get through surviving like the brain tumor. I I don't think I would have survived all of that without having those groups and having those people to talk, um, to listen to. It wasn't about me even sharing. It was about listening to other people and how they got through it. And that was what I loved about your article, about why you do your podcast, because it was really interesting that you just wanted to give people that safe space to talk and support one another and give each other hope to go on and to survive and to do all these things. And that was where my calling was. Like you had that calling at 10 years to write this book because women need to hear this. They have to hear it. They have to know that they're not alone. And that was the whole point. That was my calling. And I love that the power of the internet, like we're on the opposite sides of the world and we've had different experiences, but then somehow there's that alignment and that connection. So you've walked in that room, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you've walked in that room. I'm presuming thinking they're all crazy nut jobs. (laughs) Well, I walked in, I mean, the lucky thing is in Los Angeles, it's the biggest uh, sex and love addicts community. And then it's New York and then it's London and then in Australia. So I got lucky I'm in LA And I remember walking into the meeting at 7.30 at night in the Valley. And it was this dimly lit, you know, fluorescent light that's just church rec room with, you know, 50 plus chairs all filled with every walk of life. That's where I was like, whoa, here's like a 70-year-old grandma. Here's like a beautiful Asian woman, you know, like everybody you can imagine. And I remember sitting down and they started reading and I was listening to everybody. And when they came to me and I said, I knew, you know, I don't know what I am. This is my first time, but my therapist said to come and I broke down crying. And I remember listening to the speaker and he, he was completely different than me and everything he was saying, I have done. And it was just this moment of, oh my God, I'm not broken and I'm not alone. I just didn't have the tools growing up. I didn't have the support. I didn't see the that I was worthy, that I was a child of God and I was unique and special no matter what, just, be, just for being alive. And it was just such an eye-opening experience that I, I was actually really grateful. I was one of those addicts that was like, yay, I found some place where I belong. But then I have to tell you, you know, the first nine months were hell on earth. It was literally like an exorcism every day. I cried every day for nine months, but I knew, and my therapist told me that 
this trauma that you haven't felt for years and just, you know, stuffing it down like a trash can with like guys and food and shopping and my career as an actress, all that stuff was all ego and pushing it down. And when I finally let that garbage can of crap um, come out, I, she said this specific thing. She said, you have to dig through the shit to get to the gold. And every time you cry, imagine that pain being stuck in your stomach and in your body that you're finally releasing it. So that really gave me the permission to grieve, to grieve the loss of my addict self, to grieve the loss and the realization I wasn't broken or alone, to grieve the loss of like that ego that has been running my life you know, my entire life. So it was this really humbling experience to hit my knees and really surrender to something bigger than me. And I always knew I could go back. If you're listening, you can always go back to the addictive ways. That's the easy thing. It's like walk through the pain and get to the other side because on the other side is such a beautiful existence. And that's why I did Secret Life Podcast. When I came out with the HuffPost article, even though everybody in my life knew about it, I still wouldn't go on set and be like, hey, I'm a sex and love addict. Or, you know, like none of my co-stars knew on the series six. Nobody knew. I don't, unless someone comes to me and they're like, I'm having relationship problems or I'm going through this. I said, maybe you want to come with me to this meeting. You know, I've done that with people in the business, but I haven't really talked about it. And that moment, and I love to say this, the moment the article came out, it was March 9th of this year. I thought the world was going to end. I was like, oh my God, everybody's going to like, like my career, like every fear came up and nothing happened. <laughs> like, oh, I, I was like, well, <laughs> well, yeah, three days later we got, we went to lockdown three days later, but it was like, nothing happened. Like, wow. Like you really think the world's going to stop because you are telling that, but it gave me such freedom. And that's why I did the podcast. I woke up one night, one morning and I said, secret life podcast. People tell me their secrets or their past secrets, how they got through that. If they're still in them, why? And we look at the why, and it's really just a connection of two addicts or two people talking to help the people that don't have a voice. And that's the whole reason. And I say that to my guests, it's not about me or you, you know, we're both revealing things, but it's about the people that are listening. It's not really about us. So It's just been the best experience I've I've ever done. And I'm so grateful to be a sex and love addict. I know that's silly, but I love myself today. My husband doesn't complete me. My son doesn't complete me. Jobs being on Lucifer doesn't complete me. You know, shooting a movie doesn't complete me. This pretty dress doesn't complete me. I literally, if everything was stripped away, I would still love myself. And I couldn't say that a decade ago. No, no, I completely get that. And it's that, you know, because you were born, you were worthy. Exactly. Because you've been born, you're worthy. You are born worthy. It's the conditioning that we go through that tells us we're not. It's the stories that are written for us and around us that we carry around with us. Well, it's also a society too. I mean, we think success equals that you're worthy or you're valued, especially, you know, in, in the United States, we're obsessed with celebrities. And it's like that, anything, 
those people die just like you do. It doesn't mean anything. They can't take it with them. So thought if I get all these things, I'll be happy. And it's like, no, you actually have to be happy right where you are right now, no matter what you have. Yeah, exactly that. Um, God, you've said so much there, Brian. <laughs> My mind's a bit like blown. Um, it's, oh God, it's so true. You know, like we have all of this has to start with us like it all starts with our relationship to ourselves and like you said when we come on and share parts of our story I think that both of us have done this for the same reasons I feel like yeah. we're both called to do this for the same reasons and I know for me um with the things that I went through all I wanted was for people to know they weren't alone and so many people are afraid to speak their truth, to speak their voice, to, because they've been told not to. They've yeah. been told they have to be quiet. Don't talk about that. People won't understand it. They won't accept it. The thing that kept popping up for me when you were talking then was all every living human being actually craves and desires is to be seen, mm -hmm. to be heard, to be accepted and loved exactly as they are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's all we, if you take away any addiction or any isms or anything, what we all want is to be accepted. And what we're all afraid of is abandonment and not being loved. It's literally the same thing with everybody. Exactly that. And I think one of the things about walking into those 12 step rooms is that you're immediately accepted. You're immediately seen, you're immediately heard and you're immediately accepted. And yeah. that gives you the permission, like you said, and the freedom and the courage to begin to accept yourself. And I think that's one of the biggest gifts of being in somewhere like that. Um, and you were talking about that pain that we're trying to stuff down. You know, like I know for me now in particular, um, when I'm stressed or I have an emotion or um, I'm feeling a certain kind of way about something, if I don't allow myself to feel it and process it, I get such a body response to that. Like you were talking about like, oh, imagine your therapist saying like, imagine that being stuck and trapped in your stomach. Well, that is exactly what happens to me. This uh, straight away, I get like gut pain or I feel sick or I don't want to eat or I want to eat loads. Like I get like an immediate like body response or I get pain in my back or in my neck. Like I know that I carry like loads of my emotional tension, like down in my neck. So I can tell if my neck's getting really stiff, I probably have a little bit of work to do and I need to sit down and like check in with myself. Yeah. Mine comes to my throat. Like I, my throat closes up. Like when I get, yeah, when I, something's going on, I'm like, I feel it in my throat. It's just, but. I think, again, that takes like a level of self-awareness that not everybody is always, um, oh, that sounds a bit stupid. They're not always aware of, like, they don't really know. And, you know, like, I think you said it, it's that concept that you only know what you know. You can only yeah. do what you know. And you just don't know yet. You weren't taught better. You weren't taught the, I don't like to say the right way, but you weren't taught a better way. You weren't taught a different way. So we don't always know. But what I do know is that no one's ever died from feeling a feeling. Yeah. Even though you feel like you are, you're like, I'm, like even 
literally last night and I wanted to talk about this because I feel like it's important last night. I mean, I'm coming on 11 years of sobriety and one of the hardest programs. They say SLAW is like the PhD of all the other programs because it, it's what lies underneath. And they say, I love this saying, they say AA is the last house on the block you want to go to. Like nobody wants to go to AA, but SLAW is like the shack in the back. You like, you know, you just don't want to go to, you don't want to be at. So I've done, I've done some mad work on myself. I can say that, like, I'm proud of the pain I've gone through, the step work, doing my fourth step with my resentments. That was 176 people on that list. And I went like full force. I was like, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to do these 12 steps, like I'm really going to do them and really go through the pain and see where my character defects are and really look at them and, you know, make an amends and sponsor other women and all that stuff. And the reason I say that is because last night at 3 a.m., I woke up and the attic voice inside my head wanted to destroy me. It was literally repeating in my head, you're a loser, you're a loser, you're not worthy. And it started going back to every situation I've been in in the past, like where I feel like I failed, even though it probably wasn't a failure and ruminating and then going into the future and being like, oh, that's going to happen again. And it was insane. I said, this is someone that I've done so much work on myself. And that attic voice is so strong that I had to use every tool I learned. I had to lay there and be like, God, please take this voice away. Please, like, I know these aren't true. And I know I'm at a different level of surrender and peace. And this addict is like doing push-ups in the corner, wanting me to, to you know, to, to not survive, to be in my addiction. And I'm going to nine meetings a week right now on Zoom because I know having a toddler and a husband and a pandemic with my career, that shit comes up. And so the point I'm saying this is like, even with all that work, I'm still an addict. I'm always going to be an addict. And I'm actually okay with that because now I can say, okay, it's four o'clock in the morning. I need to talk to somebody. And I get to say to my husband, like, I have these horrible voices in my head and I know they're not real. And it's so mean to me. Why am I being so mean to myself? And him and I can sit there and have a God loving conversation and say, it's because you're going deeper. It's because you're really surrendering. And it was such a beautiful moment to have that intimacy with another person that I would have never had that 10 years ago. And I would have like, got on Instagram or DM'd somebody or flirted with an ex or, you know, went shopping online. I mean, all those things I did to not feel those feelings. And I really sat in them this morning and I talked it out and I cried a little bit. And then I was like, okay, I'm okay. Like I can start this day. So if anyone is struggling out there listening, there is way on the other side, but you have to be willing to go through those feelings, feel the pain, talk it out with somebody you trust, turn it over to God, you know, get on your knees and pray, meditate, all that stuff I used. And it got me out of my addict mind. And I just wanted to say that because it was such a powerful moment last, well, this morning for me that I'm going to be an addict for the rest of my life. And then I have to get into the rooms or I can destroy my life in like a couple of days, probably. I like how goosebumps when you were talking about <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing that 
moment, like, and what you were going through. And I do know, like, once an addict, always an addict. And I also yeah. know that that grows. It doesn't lessen. It doesn't weaken. It grows over time. Like, the addict, that, like, although you've found a way and you work your program, you do that every single day, you do it every minute of every day, almost probably unconsciously at this point, because you've been doing it for so long. Um, but it does mean when something reaches and like, when it tries to grab you and it tries to pull you back in, uh, like one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite phrases that Marianne Williamson uses is the ego is suspicious at best and vicious at worst. Oh yeah. That, it's like a were, vulture. It's a vulture moment, just trying to get you. That moment you were describing, I just had this like ego, vision of like ego just reaching in and grabbing you and like, just try, you know, like it starts with the little, little niggle, suspicious niggles. And then the next thing, you know, it's like trying to get hold of you and like tear you back. And I love that you have, you know, that you've found your own tools. Like you've got your own little like brand toolkit that you can dip into, you know what works for you for pulling yourself back out of that. And I love that you've found a partner that can support you through that. And you have that safe space. Um, he can hold that safe space for you. I mean, that's just beautiful uh, that yeah. you can, that you have someone next to you and by your side that you can do that with. I know that, that they don't complete you, but he gives you the safe space to complete yourself. And I think that's like yeah. the most beautiful thing ever. Um, no, and I, I just want to say, like you said, he doesn't complete me. He doesn't, I still have to walk through the pain, but to have a partner there to allow to see me not at my perfect, because I would like to paint a picture of like, I'm the perfect girl. Like I'm your dream girl, but really I'm like Satan underneath, but like to be able to show my vulnerability and ugly side and for him not to fix it, but to be there to listen and help walk me through it. Cause he's also in a 12 step program for like 32 years. Um, and then also for me to allow a man to be vulnerable and to come to me and say, I have these horrible things. Like, I don't think I can do this. And instead before I'd be like, grow up, you're a man, like get it together. Like, I don't want to see a man's weakness. And now to like allow another human being, especially a, a male to have his feelings, to have his vulnerability the emotions and not shame them is was a whole learning process for me and my husband. And we've been together 15 years. So this has been like a long journey between us. Well, that sounds like it's been worth it. And it's yes. going to keep getting better, which I absolutely love for both of you. It's incredible. Yeah, um, he makes me a better person. And I also like to say if there's, if you're listening, and you have drama, and there's drama in your life with your partner or even your friends, it's usually a sign that something isn't connecting. And you should really look at that because relationships are a partnership and they support each other. And there's not a lot of drama should be brought into that is what I feel. You know, when someone comes in and they're like, oh, I have a lot of drama. I'm like, oh, that's a sign. You know, like maybe we got to move some stuff around to find you some peace and serenity. Yeah, I'm all about the peace and the serenity. Well, I was addicted to drama. Like drama, I would want to hit. Like if everything was cool and fine, I'm like, what's going on? I need to make some drama in my life. That's a real, um, <laughs> that, but that's like a real thing as an effect of trauma. So, yeah. you know, when you've grown up either, it doesn't necessarily mean that 
you had childhood trauma, but I know like that there are things where when you've been through traumatic experiences or if you've had childhood trauma, the body already like the body it's that whole concept of being like comfortable with the uncomfortable, you know, like once everything is calm and settled, your body starts to feel on edge because it's like, I don't understand this. Um, Safety starts to feel really uncomfortable. And so it will naturally sabotage the situation just to feel more safe and secure. Like that the drama creates a false appearance of safety you know yeah it's they say in the program it's like a cattle prod like we need like a jolt like we need a jolt and I remember that when I grew up I would look at movies as what relationships are supposed to look like like they don't take out the trash they don't pick up dog poop they do not pay the bills in movies like we do not see that so (laughs) when I grew up watching like I watched Romeo and Juliet at a very very young age and I remember seeing the main actor's butt and it was like the perfect butt ever and then i remember that they both die at the end so in my mind the perfect relationship had to be like a nice ass and Wrong. both are both are one of the people has to either drink poison or stab stab each other or whatever for it to mean real love like it had to be that dramatic and yeah, like, like passionate yeah yeah, like that yeah. was what I thought a relationship needed to say it's real love. And that is so far from the truth. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. I definitely, um, I think that was probably not that it, I don't know that I picked it up from film and I don't even remember it so much being like that with my parents, but I remember, I do distinctly remember going into like my late teens, like mm-hmm. when I actually met my daughter's dad and my measure of how much he loved me but it was interesting I remember feeling like I chose him because he was like big and strong and um you know charismatic and all of these different things and um in the end like he was the only one I needed protecting from but I remember, oh. you know like it was I picked him because I felt safe around him because I it a bit like what you said, it wasn't that we were both going to die, but I knew he would die to save the, to, he would die to protect me. Right. And I felt like that's what love was. It was that dramatic. Yeah, no, that's not healthy. Like somebody, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't expect my husband to die, you know, I over mean, me. Yeah. Like <laughs> that is not a healthy thing. Like, no. so <laughs> then I realized the only time my life would be in danger was because either he was putting it in danger or like he was bringing in that kind of level of drama anyway. So it was kind of like one of those weird, you know, self-fulfilling prophecies. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's true because I've spoken at a lot of female jails and I, for years I went to like spoke at a big jail in LA for women and everything you just said, I go every Saturday with like 20 women in the jails and hold a slaw meeting for them. And what you just said, they all said, more people are in jail are dead because of the sex and love addiction. Like they do, they sell drugs for their man. Their man puts them in danger. They kill somebody for their man. Their man tries to kill them. Like it is crazy what people think you should be, you should do for a relationship. 
Like, whereas now I'm like, mm, I'm not really that comfortable with that. So yeah, uh, <laughs> like uh, you shouldn't be wanting to die for me. Like, I don't really want that. Like, thank you. But no, thank yeah. you. Yeah, so, <laughs> icky, awkward. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I definitely. But again, I think that uh, like you said before, you know, that takes work when it hasn't been modeled for you and you don't understand it and you don't know it and you don't know any better. And, um, you know, it doesn't help that we are fed in movies and all kinds of things, you know, that either, you know, there's this Disney style love or there's mm -hmm. the Romeo and Juliet style love. Um, but we very often, we don't see a healthy love it portrayed yeah. in the media and hardly, we don't see a lot of healthy love, unfortunately, just in this day and age, it seems to be, which wow. is really sad. I, I hope that that's changing and people are becoming more aware of that. And obviously there's a huge shift in just societal norms, you know, where um, I, I feel like people are trying to work on, you know, self-development and, and constantly, you know, like improving themselves and healing themselves. But like you said, it takes a lot of work oh, and yeah. you, know, you can still make it fun along the way. But I think there's an element of like, with that concept of addiction, when we feel the feelings, it's uncomfortable. And how many people spend the majority of their time trying to avoid the feelings? So even if like you feel overwhelmed with all the feelings and emotions and you've got the anxiety and you're worried and all that, you know, and you're feeling sad and upset and all those things you're still probably trying to distract yourself with a million other things like yeah even like netflix yeah. people are binging netflix right now because they don't want to feel their feelings or feel what's going on in the world or feel if like their relationship is falling apart or they don't have a job people don't want to feel we don't want to feel the only emotion i'm interested in is euphoria everything else you can take away. But unfortunately, that's not real life. So it's like, how do I deal with these uncomfortable feelings, and not lose myself and not use other people and not use, you know, Instagram, just strolling seamlessly looking at these filtered pictures that aren't even real. And I had this moment and I talked about it in a book that really helped me. I really suffer from compare and despair. That's one of my main character defects. Like, my life could be great. Like I could be hanging with my son, have, you know, everything. And I could literally go on Instagram or somewhere and see some filtered picture. And it just takes me to my knees. And I am not grateful for anything I have. And that's a real dangerous place to be in, especially this society, which, you know, it's the highlight reel of people's lives. And I had a girlfriend, um, I saw a picture of hers and she built a new house. And I remember I was having a great day. And as soon as I saw the picture, I was like, like my house isn't, you know, like you go into that. I don't have that and that and that, whatever, whatever. And I remember her calling me five minutes later and telling me that she got in a horrible fight with her husband. They were like contemplating divorce. And I was like, you just posted that picture. Like that doesn't match the reality. And it was like God smacking me in the face being like, stay on your side of the street. Like yeah. you don't need to be comparing yourself to anyone else or their journey or how much pain they have to go to. Because a part of me as being an addict, I'm like, why do I have to be authentic and feel these feelings and not use other people and not use social media and all that? And nobody else feels like they're doing that. And it's like, 
because that's my journey because I'm surrendering. I'm, I'm telling myself, like, I want to be the most authentic person I can in my life. I want to give back to other people. I want to connect with you or someone across the world about their addiction and their disease. And so we can become a more authentic society and we can say, shit, it's a bad day. Like this morning was a bad morning, but I'm okay. Like I showed up, I'm of service. I still love myself, but to show those ugly sides that we're not showing anymore or haven't been. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like I just went on a tangent about Instagram. No, I no, but total. I get it though. Like I've been just having a conversation about this with a friend of mine today. And it was funny when he said that about, you know, why do I have to be the one that's being authentic? Yeah. Why do I have to be honest and not lie? And like, like, why do I have to be of service? Why do I have to stay on the phone and help somebody like, Oh, but it makes me a better person. I've actually said almost the exact same thing. I remember looking at my mom one day and going, why do I always have to be the bigger person? Why do I always have to be the compassionate yeah like empathetic why do I always have to be the bigger person like I don't call anybody up and bitch him out down the phone and like dump all of my like verbal diarrhea yeah, like why can't I honk my horn and yell at someone for cutting me off on traffic and my sponsor's like because maybe that person really has to get somewhere Brienne like maybe they're in a rush for a reason and then when I was uh, doing my ninth step making amends I was only allowed to say, I'm sorry, I have done you wrong. I promise in the future, I will not, not do this again. If you have anything you want to say, that's, that's all I was allowed to say. I wasn't allowed to say like, well, you did this to me. So that's why I did this to you. It was like, no tip for tat. Like I could not, you know, even though I'm like, mm, that, but they did me There's wrong. No, but it's the ifs and like it's the what ifs and the buts that kill you that's yeah and it's like the we are not allowed justifiable anger like I don't it doesn't do me any good to have justifiable anger so what I have to do is I have to bless other people for the best life even if I don't really like them but that's how I'm not killing myself on a daily basis well that's exactly it so why can't, why do I always have to be the bigger person? And the reason I always have to be the bigger person is because then I can sleep at night. Yeah. And if I turn around and give someone a barrage of abuse or because I think they've been a shitty person and I have, you know, like I've turned around and I let rip on them. The first thing that happens is I feel awful. So when I am negative towards somebody else, or I am mean to someone else, or I say something nasty to somebody else, I may as well just hit myself with, you know, it's that whole concept that like, we're all connected. If I'm going to heap a bunch of abuse on someone else, I'm just heaping it on myself. I definitely feel worse for it. Then I have to apologize. And I don't really want to apologize if I don't have to. I'd rather just keep my side of the street clean and not actually worry about it. And so I do sometimes, I still have to let myself be mad. I just don't have to like dump it on them. But um, (laughs) like my, so I have a friend that actually every morning, um, would send me images off Instagram of women who, um, 
you know, have like a thong on, uh, like they'll be wearing a thong and maybe like, and then it'll have like an inspirational quote underneath it or, you know, like, and, and this is his favorite game as that like, he'll like hunt Instagram to find like the thirstiest picture he can find with the, has like a motivational quote, instead of it just saying like, here's a picture of my ass. It looks great. Like have a nice day. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, like, but it'll be like the booty pic with, you know, and then it'll be like, and you're God, I love myself. Yeah, I love, it'll be like that. Right. So yeah. he sends it because what happens is the like absolute darkness in me, I'm savage as fuck. Like I can't, like, if I get going, I'm, I'm savage. And it's not like, that's yeah. just like my, kind of my sense of humor, but it's also like, I can get dark. So I think he just, finds it funny but what I found was after a couple of days I was feeling really bad I was feeling really down and I was feeling really negative and everyone was getting on my nerves oh that's like a sure sign that some god you got to get right with god or something like (laughs) I can't keep saying bad things about these Instagram models I'm like I'm gonna just have to like abstain like so I don't follow people like that because it irks me like yeah I don't follow people like that because I'm not interested in it it doesn't fulfill me it doesn't bring any value to my life it doesn't bring any joy to my life and I'm all about the joy like why would I follow someone or something that elicits some other kind of response in me that's gonna like trigger me and get me like annoyed and what have I got to be annoyed about you do you hun like whatever you want to do whatever it's actually and then when I actually look deeper at it it was because I feel really sad I feel heartbroken that there's not just women because I know men that do it as well that there's people who feel like their only value is sex or yeah. their only value is their body, but they're look, they mostly say, well, I, it's my body. I'm a feminist or I can and do what I want with it. But when you, when it, it's just a reminder, maybe that's how we used our body or we, you know, weren't always our, our authentic selves. So maybe it hits a button like that. In you. I think it hits a button on a lot of levels of like one, it really just breaks my heart that that's Mm -hmm. kind of where we've gone as a society that that that's what gets likes and that's what gets validation from people and that people feel like that's what they have to do to get a little bit of a not just attention but that to they think that they're being seen yeah and accepted when actually that person isn't seeing anything about them except their booty well like of course it looks pretty. It looks really nice. If you bought a great ass, like, fuck yeah, put it out there. I have no issue with that. Like I'll look at a girl's butt all day long. I have no problem with that. However, I'd rather it was just like, this is a picture of my ass. Cause I know it's going to brighten up your day. Like I enjoy just, <laughs> like, that's just a little more authentic for me. Like if you yeah. want to do the motivational quote, I'm all for those too. Cause I have to read them and I affirm to myself every day, all that kind of stuff. So I've got, there's, I think there's a place for both. I just don't know that they authentically fit together. That would be like my only kind of thing around it. So, um, but yeah, I had to keep a real check on myself. I was like, actually, I can't get involved in this because it's got a lot of negativity attached to it. Yeah. And I'm, it's not negative. It's not that I'm, I'm not downing on people who do that. It's more that I feel bad that that's what's happening and I can't really do anything about it. I can only control myself. So, um, I just, I'm going to 
abstain. I'm just going to stay out of it. And that was something that I had to kind of keep a check on myself. And it's little things like that. Like I can tell with my mood and how I interact with people, whether I'm on track and whether I'm being like my authentic self. Um, Those feelings that you were talking about, you know, like there's a lot of work to be done to improve and grow. And it doesn't, it can get really frustrating. I remember being in those rooms and working through those 12 steps. And I remember being in there and being like, my life isn't getting any better. Why is this still so hard? Like, why am I still crying? Like, why is nothing? And then you come up all, not only that, but then as you start changing people around, you don't like it. Oh yeah. Cause you don't fit into the, in the, the role anymore that you were assigned. <laughs> yeah. And so then you have all that to contend with. So no, you're like, I'm just, I'm actually becoming a better person and less people like me. This is fucked up. Like what, <laughs> what is going on here? Like now my mom doesn't like me and my sister doesn't like me. And like, my friends think I'm crazy. And like <laughs> I was crazy before, like, this is a good version of me. You should be happy. You know, and like you have all that to contend with. And sometimes it can feel really tiring and like, you're not getting anywhere with it. And then all of a sudden you'll see like the positive, the benefit, but it is a constant, it's a constant journey. It never ends. Like, I still feel like I'm learning something new every day, but one of the biggest things that I kind of came to a a realization about over the last couple of years in particular was that. I was using things to really distract me from my feelings and that was getting in the way and definitely keeping me more in that um, behavior that you were talking about where I was either using things or people to make me feel worthy, to make me feel whole. Um, And I had to learn how to process a feeling. And I know that that sounds really stupid because I'm 41 how can I not know how to feel a feeling and just work my way through it? And I always thought I was like very emotionally intelligent and that this wasn't actually something I needed to learn how to do. But I realized there was an actual step-by-step process that you could follow to be able to sit in a feeling and actually allow yourself and give yourself um, space to feel it. And what I found was when I did that, this feeling that was so overwhelming and I was so afraid of that I spent literally every waking minute trying to avoid, I was able to let pass through me in about 10 to 15 seconds and then it was gone and I felt great. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just a process. I think a lot of people don't know how to process feelings. I mean, I sure didn't. And I, that the only way to go through it and not like use other things because those outside things can be taken away. And then what you're stuck with is you, you're always going to be stuck with you. And if you don't, feel them, then you're always trying to mask it with something else. And it's just not a great place to live. God, no, no, it's not. Well, there was a book that I read. um, It's called Perfect Love, Imperfect Relationships. And it talks very much about that concept of, you know, being able to sit with your feelings, being able to process them. It gives you like an actual step-by-step way of processing those and allowing yourself the space to feel them. And then also being able to be more understanding and compassionate with other people and their conditioning around you. Um, And 
I think like with the programs as well, they teach you very much that if you change your behavior, inevitably the people around you's behavior changes as well because they have to. They have to. They have to. And that's the thing, like that's why they say um attraction rather than promotion, that you you will attract the people that need to leave your life will go the people that you know your family usually it takes a couple of years or longer for them to like see your new role I mean I have said it before my dad and I didn't talk for a year in my sobriety because he didn't know how to relate to these new boundaries I was having and my sister has changed and my mom has changed and all the friends that needed to go and create drama have left and all you know, I don't have any guy friends. I realized I don't need guy friends other than the guys in the program because it's very safe, but there's no drama in my life. And I have to tell you, that is an amazing way to exist is no drama. No one creates drama. I don't have any problems with anybody. My friends show up for me. I show up for them. I don't have any friends that are unavailable anymore. You know, I realized how much I would keep these unavailable girlfriends around and then it was like heartbreaking every time they didn't show up for me. And I realized, wow, I'm re-traumatizing myself with these friendships. And when am I going to let this person go? They are incapable of showing up for me. I don't hate them. They just can't do it. They don't have the tools to show up for me. And that's okay. And just knowing like everybody in your life that's supposed to be there when you get on the other side of your pain and your trauma will be there. And that God has your back. And the thing I love to remember the most that gets me excited, which sounds really strange, is that we die alone. I know that sounds horrible, but it's something, it's so beautiful. Like I die with myself. No one else goes with me. No amount of money goes with me. None of it goes with me. And if I don't love myself and take care of myself and honor myself, that's really sad. That to me would be a life unlived. So that was willing for me to go through the darkness to get to the other side. So if you're struggling out there, like I'm telling you the self-love you get, especially sex and love addiction, it's not about finding the perfect partner because there's no perfect partner. It's about finding your love for yourself. And that is what the main thing that I would say about the program that and that the feeling that I have to say this one last thing, but the feeling of falling in love, I was addicted to. And I think a lot of people are like that first love, that first high, that no matter who it was with, that was always going to fade. And I had to understand that because I thought that's what made a long-term relationship and it's not. So it's like falling in love with myself over and over again in this new state that I am and not getting high off another person's feelings that I create inside of me so no I, I, I love that I absolutely love that it's so true it's and really that whole like self-love self self-acceptance um and I know a lot of those derive from a feeling of a you know that fear of being abandoned but I know like one of the things that I heard that like was a massive game changer for me and all of that was you know, we're so afraid of somebody else abandoning, abandoning us, yet we abandon ourselves on the daily. 
yeah with the choices that we make the people that we choose to have around the way we talk to ourselves ourselves the way we allow other people to talk to us the, you know the things that we do the things that we don't do like and even our family like uh, it's not okay for you mom or dad or sister or brother it's not okay for you to talk to me like that. It's not okay for you to treat me like that. I'm not a child. So it's like reestablishing all those relationships in a more healthy boundary way. And if that person decides they don't want to keep your boundary, then that's okay. And you can still love them, but you don't have to put up with that abuse or, you know, that relationship anymore if it's not healthy for you. No, me and my family have done a lot of work on that. It's one of the things I'm probably the most proud of is how much, you know, there's always work to do, but it's one of the things I'm most proud of is that my whole family seems very like dedicated to, to improving our relationships and and our relationships with ourselves first, and then our relationships with, with each other. And so that's been like a real godsend. Um, yeah. Uh, well, Brianne, I've absolutely, I feel like we've just like smashed lid off this. It's I feel like we've just been in a meeting, <laughs> like a full blown 12 step meeting. I feel like we have two, but then I can't, it's been a really long week. And like you, I've had a few like hiccups this week and I've not been very well. I actually went for like a COVID test the other night because I was mm-hmm. like, I felt sick for like a week. And, but it wasn't like really taking hold, but I was like totally drained and I was, my chest was really tight and I felt like I was getting a fever and I was like coughing and I thought, oh my God. Oh my God. Well, I just was like, I'm all right, but I feel like shit and I don't want to make anybody else sick. So I need to be careful. So I just went and had a test and it was negative and it was fine, but like, it's definitely impacted me, like my work capacity and like everything that I've been trying to get done. Um, and this like chat has like totally energized me. Like I feel Yay. great. And that was like almost my bedtime, but like <laughs> I get to go to bed all excited and happy. So like, I know you've got, the book is meant to be coming out in December. Do you have a yeah. date for that yet? Or It's towards the end of December. I don't want to say the exact date because I'm still working with the editor and everything, but yeah, I'm so excited. I can't wait for you guys to read it. I can't. Can I just ask you a question? Are you going to do an audio book? and read it yourself. yes yes most likely yeah an audiobook yeah yeah it'll be okay. fun that's amazing well because like I just don't read I'm an audiobook junkie like I do love the audiobook that's so important to me yeah, uh, yeah. and it'll be great with you reading it um so what else have you got lined up then over the next I mean are you filming again like I know they kind of shut a lot of that down that's why people are having to dredge into the depths of Netflix because there's been nothing new being made. I mean, me and my daughter binged Lucifer. <laughs> We're like desperate for the second half of that season. Um, Cause they kind of only like released half of it. Didn't they? Yeah. We only released half of it because the, the shooting got interrupted. So yeah, I mean, right now I'm not working, which, so I'm just having the podcast. I release it every Monday, secret life podcast and, and doing a bunch of interviews for that. I'm editing the book, obviously. I'm deep in that. But I just had a movie come out on Lifetime called The Secret Life of the Celebrity Surrogate. They changed the title. like So it's like, all, I'm like surrounded by secret life right now. So that just came out. I think it will be out in London soon, which I'm really proud of that movie. 
And then, yeah, I'm just doing what's in front of me. Uh, we had, you know, some big producer wants to create secret life of a Hollywood sex and love addict into a TV show. So my husband and I just wrote the script for that. And we're pitching another TV show uh, right now around town. So yeah, we're just, you know, trying to stay busy during this crazy time. So we'll see what God has planned. Well, I just want to thank you for taking the time uh, to share part of your journey and story with me. Um, well, with everybody who's listening, <laughs> you, Brianne, completely embody everything that Blonde and Strong was made Aww. for. Like that was every everything that I had in mind when I developed this brand is you. Like you just encompass all of that. So uh, thank you. Thanks for being involved and being so open and vulnerable and honest. Um, where can people find you? Where is the best place for people to follow you and keep on top of, you know, with the podcast and when the book is getting released? Well, I feel like it's my Instagram at the Brianne Davis. That's the one I'm on the most. Uh, Twitter, I sometimes go on, I post things, but I don't really have time to read it. And I have a Facebook pages and stuff. But yeah, at the Brianne Davis Instagram, our secret live podcast on Instagram. Those are the two things. If you want to talk to me, if you want to reach out, or you can email me if you have any questions about the program or questions you're going through or struggling at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. I get back to everybody that reaches out to me. So feel free to, if you're struggling or need any help, I'm here. Thank you for your time. And thank you for being such a beautiful human and guest. Um, I will put all of those links into the podcast description so that people can uh, just click and reach out to you. Um, so thank you once again. And just want to say thank you to everybody. for. <laughs> I just want to say thank you again, everybody, for taking the time out of your busy lives to listen today. And don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, share uh, if you like what you heard, as it helps us get into the ears of more listeners and change more lives. So until next time, everybody, stay strong.